Aaron, you got cameras rolling? I'm waiting on a host, and then we will do a podcast. These chairs make you slow. Yeah. Uh, so, Chris Duffy was on today. We just got done recording some. So, for your knowledge, the order of our day was Chris Duffy intro. But when the playback happens, the magic of, of the editing, it will be our intro and then Chris Duffy. Cool. So, what do you think of Chris? Chris is Chris is why I'm in this business. Chris and the other guys like him are why I want to. Why we I really want us to succeed at what we do. Um, man is so sincere. He's you know he's interesting. Um, he's trying to do a service not just for you know his interests, but for the interests of the whole of the whole industry. And I think that we all need to engage that more. You and know? for the interest of the end consumer as well. The end consumer does not understand very well what we're about. Uh, they think we're out there, you know, chasing the, chasing the almighty dollar and that we're trying to, you know, we're selfishly trying to uh, abuse the Leverage the resources. land and the resources yeah. for our own yeah. gain. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think what Chris does is he's really offering some transparency in that cycle in a, in a really good way. Uh, excited for the podcast audience to meet Chris. Uh, so I think without further ado, the best thing to do is is get right to that interview. All right. All right, podcast audience, we're here with a very special guest, kind of a cool episode. We're here with Chris Duffy. Uh, Chris is a dairyman in Massachusetts, uh, Great Brook Dairy, correct? Correct, that is it. Uh, Chris is, is on the phone with us, and Chris, how long, so we, you're Great Brook Dairy, you're in, you're in Massachusetts, and, and how long have you been in dairy? So I'm 20, 29 years old, um, I'm second generation dairy farmer, uh, so my whole life's been dairy farming. You've lived uh, it. Yeah, grew up in it. Yeah. Uh, from as long as I can remember, I was part of the dairy farm side of it. Um, with that being said, my father's second gener- or first generation dairy farmer. Um, he started dairy farming in 1979, um, but we didn't move to this location till 1987. Um, so he grew up with no dairy background, no farming background. So it's pretty unique how he created what we have today. Very cool. Wow. What was his incentive, Chris? Um, I'm not really sure. Some days he wondered <laughs> why he ever milked cows. Um, so his father worked for General Electric. He traveled all over the world um, doing that. Went, lived in Europe. Um, went to four different colleges. Graduated from University of Minnesota with a degree in ag economics. Um, and then he decided he'd move to the East Coast and start milking cows. Neat story. Pretty cool. Uh, and how many cows are you guys milking right now? So currently we're milking 114. Um, we have too many replacements, so we're bouncing around. But in the past years, we've grow, grown into that number. Um, 115 is probably about the right number if we get our production where we want it to be. And right now we are. Uh, but we have 15 cows left to calve this month. Um, so we're playing some games of what we want. Uh, yeah. Due to our situation of how we milk cows, we do have a number that we like to stay at. Uh, 
And and you talk about kind of how you milking cows. Like, what what kind of a system are on it? I did see uh, some video that you guys look like you have a pretty uh, pretty interesting robotic milking unit. Yep. So we've been nine years on on robots. Our first one went in, um, and we milked. We moved from a tie stall barn right over to a robotic facility. Walked right away from the tie stall barn, milked every cow, um, and then we started. We stayed right around that sixty number for the last seven years. Um, and then we started growing and we started actually bucket milking cows as we were milking with robots and we grew to 90 cows, um, that we were keeping. And then we put the second robot in two years ago. Um, so my background on some of that is I went to school, needed an internship, uh, got done, uh, went to New Zealand, lived in New nice. Zealand for seven months, uh, worked with a dairy over there, a large scale dairy with, uh, starting one of their facilities up. Came back, worked for Dealaval North America for a few years, and I worked for the dealership as well. Um, so my life is robots and uh, robots and uh, dairy farming. So every aspect of that. Um, so I work on the farm, off the farm, uh, and do my own thing as well. But the robots have been a huge part of me wanting to keep dairy farming. Yeah. Uh, I had no interest in milking cows three times a day, being in the barn at one in the morning, two in the morning. Uh, that that didn't interest me. So, Hey, Chris, uh, did, did you come back from New Zealand the same as uh, Andrew did <laughs> saying, you know, I could probably live over there at some point. Oh, I want, I still wonder some days why I didn't stay over there. So, <laughs> it's such a cool place, man. It really is. And dairy is such a part of the culture over there. I mean, oh, it's, it's huge. Over there is unbelievable. Every aspect, every part of it. Um, so the people I was with, they currently milk over 12,000 cows have, multiple facilities um and it was just amazing to see every aspect from grazing to being in a barn to not having to deal with winter at the aspect we have here and uh the winter i was over there um we got horrible snow so i missed all of that so i came back and then all of a sudden the next next winter when it snowed i wondered why i ever came back (laughs) (laughs) i was over there in winter as well and it was like you know 70 degrees and beautiful and they're like oh man sorry the weather's so bad you should come back in the summer right (laughs) i left i left september and i came back in april yeah it was about perfect timing for me um i'd love to go back but if i'm gonna go back it's got to be for two plus weeks yeah there's just so much over there anybody that can ever get to new zealand i'd absolutely say go I've been telling him the same thing. Uh, So, Chris, your dairy farm, uh, there's a little bit of an interesting aspect to it. You are located on the grounds of a state park, correct? Correct. Um, So how it works, um, before we moved into the facility, the state had actually bought the 1,000-acre farm um, from a dairyman, and they converted it into a state park. Um, At that time, there was not many visitors, and over the 33 years that we have been here, it has grown into – thousands and hundreds of thousands of people actually visit. Um, Part of us putting robots in was we were in a tie stall barn, uh, open to the public, giving tours. So liability, showing them how cows is. And when we wanted to update, we wanted to show them the most modern, where the future of where the future of dairy farming is going. Um, With that being said, we're 20 miles outside of Boston. We, we farm in an area that, is not typical for dairy, never mind yeah. agriculture. So we have a lot of people that are not connected with agriculture at all that are two miles away from us that never knew how a cow was milked, never seen a cow. And they come and visit and they get that opportunity. Um, so it, it creates 
some challenges, but it creates a very good opportunity to interact with the actual consumer. How, how would you, and what would you say about uh, interacting with the public and how important that might be for, for your farm and, and also for the public? Um, so a lot of the public has no idea what goes on with milking cows. Um, <laughs> there's videos that go out there. There's ideas, um, about dairy, uh, a lot of negativity. Some people get trapped up in that. So being able to actually bring the, bring a consumer in and explain it to them is huge for the future of dairy and understanding that. Um, with, also with that, we own us and 900 other farms own a, a co-op named Agrimark, um, which owns Cabot Cheese. Um, so at the end of the day, our main main uh, source of selling milk products is right to the public. So we do a lot with that co-op just as far as marketing cheese, um, explaining that we're local farms. This We're less than 100 miles away from most of our consumers. Um, so the education side both ways is big. Um, and for us, understanding what the consumer is thinking is a huge side of it, um, that we're just not we're not just farming. We're also uh, agritourism and selling an end product. Um, with that being said as well, we have an ice cream stand. We do a lot of compost business. So uh, we're kind of in the ideal area for that. But it does make some challenges, like I said, because people don't understand what goes on with farming, uh, with tractors, um, agricultural practices. Um, so there's big education going both ways. Not everybody's got the patience to do what you do with the public. No. Uh, but it's absolutely no. necessary, Chris, and my hat's off to you for, for being able to do that. Congratulations. Yeah. Which That's very cool. I bring up friends home from college, and they would, they're used to big equipment, not caring about people, people getting out of their way. And I said, that's not how we do things around here. Yeah. You can't, there's too many tight roads, people that don't understand what, it, what goes on. So it's, it's a learning process for anybody. You're doing a great service for our for our industry. That's a, that's great news, man. Thank you. Uh, so, Chris, uh, I think the way that we originally got connected uh, was, you know, us at Master's Choice seeing your social media content, seeing things you were posting, and then, and you know, thanks to you for also tagging Master's Choice and some of that content too. But uh, as you're kind of, you know, I know you're building some YouTube content. You're doing pretty well on Instagram. How important is it to you? Uh, you know, kind of even in that. You know, in that public interaction and for people, the transparency to see what's going on on the dairy farm, how important is it for you to use social media as a means to connect to potential customers? Uh, and then do you think other dairy farmers should do that as well? I think it's huge. Um, the fact that things get posted on social media, good or bad, and they get captured in the Internet and the, the world sees it. Um, so if dairy farmers want to stand back um, or want to defend their stuff and negative ways um it really hurts everybody in the industry so being open explaining what goes on uh is going to be the biggest thing moving forward the public if they see something and they say oh that's bad and you are able to explain it to them they might not always accept that but at least there's somebody explaining what is going on instead of just this is how it's done either you like it or you don't go on with your day um so on the youtube side I just I enjoy everything I pretty much watch is on YouTube. I don't watch yeah. regular TV. Um, so I enjoy a lot of that. Um, but making my own videos, it's just stuff I enjoy that I like. And it just happens that other people are interested in it as well. Um, and looking back and doing projects. Um, and there is a lot of questions of why we do things the way we do it. Um, and because of our location, going back to having so many people in the public, 
um, we have to educate them. Otherwise, it turns into bad mouthing agriculture in general, um, and nobody gets ahead at that rate. People tend to demonize those things that they don't understand, and so open the book. And I, I think that's that's absolutely the right philosophy for for you, for us, and for all of us in the industry. Yep. No, absolutely. And uh, more dairymen should do it, but there is a lot of stubborn stubborn side of that that they don't care what the public thinks. But at the end of the day, the public is what buys our products that keeps yes. us going. Um, we're stewards of the land. Our point is to be the best stewards of the land. But at the end of the day, it has to be a business that works. So we could be the best stewards of the land, but nobody wants to buy the product. And then it just goes by the wayside. Exactly. I think it's really cool what you're doing, just increasing transparency. And I, I feel like so often there is a disconnect between, you know, the public and the ag industry. And we need each other. We're so dependent on each other that uh, I think for those people to understand what goes on behind the scenes is important. So hats off to you for the social media content and then also, you know, the tours and running through people through. I think I think you're doing a great, like he said, a great, a great service to the industry. Absolutely. Uh, switching gears a little bit, uh, this is the MC podcast, uh, you know, and, and like I said, we, we kind of noticed your content when you started tagging Master's Choice on some stuff. Uh, how long have you been a Master's Choice customer? I was trying to think back and trying to look back through social media uh, as far as when I started posting. I'm thinking six years is when we first bought the first bag. Um, so we were primarily um, one brand. And I don't know, can I say what brands and stuff? Sure. So we were 100% decob um, growing up. And we really never, so we're in an area where we don't have salesmen chase after us. Yeah. Not tractors, not equipment, nothing. Um, so we have to chase after what we really like. Yeah, there's a lot of farmers out there that say that doesn't sound too bad, not getting chased down by a seed salesman. I know, but at the same rate, I'd like some, <laughs> some uh, people that are supportive on that side of it. So. We started looking into better, better quality forage, especially the robot side. So we switched our nutritionist, um, and that was the biggest driver as far as finding better forage, um, not only on the corn side, but on the grass side. Um, and that's what led us to try and uh, Master's Choice, Seedway, and Mycogen. Um, and it went back to the biggest things were um, there was no salesman that really chased after any of that other than the Master's Choice side of it. Um, went to school with the salesman's uh, brother, and he's been really great as far as you'd like this variety. This is what grows well for us. Um, they grew up dairy farming. Uh, now they crop farm some, do a lot of hay, uh, support a large dairy next door. Um, so that was the biggest, the biggest driver as far as trying and being more aggressive. And once I, once we started planning uh, 5250, I was hooked on it. That was <laughs> phenomenal. So uh, I planted a majority of that this year, and I'm really excited. I did plant some other varieties, um, but that was the biggest driver. Our nutritionist side to push us to make better forage. Um, and at the time, we had no kernel processor in the chopper, so we struggled with that. Um, so last year was our first official or our first year of actually having processed corn. Um, and I did have some processor issues. Um, so ne this upcoming year, I hope, is our first full year of completely processed corn and then we were all good. Um, so it's definitely been a, a learning curve as far as getting better forage. Um, but we definitely figured out how to grow corn a lot better than we were and grow much better quality corn um, over the last, I'd say the first 
two years of trying different varieties and trying to figure it out was kind of a struggle. Um, but the last three years, four years have definitely been good. And this year is our most consistent year as far as getting the seed in the ground. Um, and our results so far, as long as it keeps raining, will be in the road. So we're struggling with rain right now. Um, we got uh, three-tenths of an inch last night. Um, but we're not getting the rain like the rest of the country. And we're on sandy soil. So but our corn looks phenomenal this year. And I'm excited uh, as far as we figured it out. And we figured out how to feed it. So seems like you uh, you had some pretty quick emergence because I mean it seemed like one day I saw you tag that you were planting and like a couple days ago you're I saw a story and uh, that corn was like almost knee high yep so the we planted everything in three days I turned around um, we had grub damage on some hay ground uh, so I ended up planting another 17 acres on some ground that I picked up so that's 24 days behind when we first planted our stuff. Um, but the first stuff we planted 10 days after we had good emergence. Um, and so we're at 29 days right now and it's over knee high and it looks, uh, fantastic. We do, we are going to go in and spread, spray some, uh, or spread some urea. Um, but we put a lot of manure on our ground and we figured out that side of it too. So really feeding the crop to get that yield has been the biggest thing, uh, years prior, um, spreading manure was always well, it's hired in and now we do it ourselves. So it makes it a little different that we know what we want and where we want to put it. But no, our emergence and our consistency this year has been the best we've ever had. So I'm excited for that side of it. Very cool. Uh, Chris, I really appreciate you coming on, man. This is, this was a lot of fun. Uh, and you know, I would say from, from both of us, thank you so much for, for trying our product. And if there's ever anything we can do on our side to, uh, to help your farm succeed, you know, you've got my contact information and we, we want to help you out. Yep. No, I appreciate it. I'm like I said, I, I'm trying two new varieties that I didn't plant last year and I'm really excited to see how they come out. Um, but like I said, that 5250 is my go-to right now and I really enjoy it. What do you, do you remember what other two varieties you planted? Uh, 4930 and I should know off the top of my head, uh, 4570. Mm-hmm. Have to walk. Very cool. Some some early 90, 95 and ninety seven, I believe, was what it was. Um, and you plant only conventional corn. Yep. So we Very bounced cool. around and done all sorts of things, um, but it brings me back to that fifty two fifty. I really enjoy it. So yeah, um, and it works well. As well, we, that was part of our thing figuring out uh, how to get things done in a timely manner. Last year we struggled with it. This year we've been really good. Um, and then we're in a good boat if we start off well. If we start the spring off well, then we're we see some good corn crops, and then our fall harvest is a lot better off. Well, very cool, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on. And before we sign off here, uh, you know, I I feel like we need to you know we talked about social media content. Where can people find you at on online? So my Instagram is duppyc91. Um, feel free to like it, drop me a comment uh, message me. I got a lot of people that ask me all sorts of questions. Um, as far as I was scouting with a drone the other day, a lot of people ask me how that works out and that's way better than walking fields. So anybody who's interested in a drone, go ahead and do that. Um, and then asking me, I do a lot of projects of every sort. So there's a lot of advice and things that go on there. Um, and people telling me I'm doing it wrong and better ways (laughs) of doing it, which works because I just, just going by, um, and then the YouTube account is Farming with Duffy C91. Um, so that's been 
almost a year now. Um, and I've been much more consistent on that side of it. So I've had a lot of, a lot of more traction in the last few weeks, um, which is cool. Um, and I'll get some chopping videos, um, some spraying, some spreading, stuff like that. Um, and people have asked for the dairy side, so I got to start cool. doing the calves in the barn and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, feel free to add either one. Um, and I'd be really interested. So always love connecting with other farmers um, and sharing ideas because not everywhere is the same. A lot of things work. Um, so it's cool to bounce ideas off each other. Very cool, man. Well, thanks for being on. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right. And uh, podcast audience, we'll see you, uh, see you next week. See you, Chris. Thank you. Have a good one.